You see, it requires every redeemed saint to comprehend the love of God for His people. So as we contemplate, this is Paul's request here, that you would have the strength to reach out and grasp the love of Christ for His people. What are we trying to reach out and grasp? We are trying to reach out and grasp the sin that Jesus became, aren't we? Isn't that what we're really trying to understand? If Jesus becoming our sin is the love of God for His people, then to comprehend that love, don't we really need to comprehend the sin that He became? On the cross, you see, Jesus, Jesus didn't become sin in theory. Jesus didn't become the concept of sin. Jesus didn't become some philosophical definition of sin. On the cross, Jesus became your sin. If Jesus did not become your sin on the cross, then your sin has not been atoned for. In order for there to be salvation through the cross, in order for the cross to be the love of God for His people, He had to become not just sin in general. He had to become the sin of His people so that the sin of His people could be fully punished by God and being fully punished by God, we then receive the forgiveness, the cleansing from that sin, but also the righteousness of the life that He lived in our place. So comprehending the love of God for His people is inseparable from comprehending the sin that Jesus became as this definitive measurement of the love of God for His people, which is the other reason that Paul says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. You see, it requires every redeemed saint to comprehend the love of God for His people. The love of God for His people cannot be rightly comprehended by even one less redeemed saint than what God has redeemed. Because the love of God for His people is measured by the sin that He became. And so all of God's people are needed to comprehend the love of the cross in order for His love to be comprehended. You see, the love of Jesus is not just this great big massive pit of, of emotional favor. The love of Christ is your specific sin that He became on the cross for you. So imagine the sin of just one person, just one of God's saints, Imagine what a thing that what was for Jesus to become even one person's sin. Now imagine the love of Christ with that taken away. Oh, what a thing to be taken away. If we were to say, let's comprehend the love of Christ for all of his saints, less one. Even one taken away takes away from the comprehension of the love of God 
an unspeakable amount of love. Therefore, Paul says to comprehend the love of God for his people requires all of his people. Because you know what? I I have no comprehension for your sin. I know that Jesus paid for your sin. But I don't really understand that because I understand my sin. We all have a deep recognition and comprehension for our own sin. But Paul says, like, like Paul says to, the, to, uh, to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, I'm, I'm the worst sinner that I know because it's my sin that I comprehend. So I can't comprehend the love of God for His people by contemplating your sin. I comprehend the love of God's people by contemplating my sin. And therefore, all of God's people. This is what Paul's really, this, this is his prayer. He prays, oh God, that all of your people, all of them, everyone, would have the strength to comprehend your love for them so that your people comprehend the great, indescribable, unlimited, immeasurable, surpassing love of God for his people. You see what he's driving at? Now, this love, he says, this love is really the power of change. Let's read again from chapter 8, from verse 18. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this fullness of God really is is Paul's way of saying what God says, you be holy for I am holy. The fullness of Christ on earth, the fullness of God on earth, or in other words, this is the Christian ethic that is chapter four, five, and six. So this Christian ethic, this this way of living that Paul is going to talk about, to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as builds up, as suits the occasion, or uh, be angry, but do not sin, or uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All of these things that Paul is going to speak into their life, all of these are, as we said earlier, fueled by, motivated by, driven by the comprehension of the love of God for us. One of the stories in the Scripture that beautifully illustrates this, we all know this story from uh, Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke 7, the story of the, uh, the woman of the streets who goes in and Jesus is having dinner with Simon the Pharisee. And you remember the woman off the streets comes and she's just groveling at Jesus' feet and, and weeping. And, and the, the, Luke says that she's drying Jesus' feet with her hair. Just this picture of just absolute brokenness. And she's not crying for, for anxiety or despair. She's crying for joy. And then you know how the story goes. This, this man, Simon, this Pharisee Simon, he's trying, he's sizing Jesus up. He's trying to determine if Jesus is for real. And in his mind, Luke tells us in his mind, he, he thinks to himself, if, if Jesus knew who this woman was, then he wouldn't be letting her touch him. So clearly he's not the prophet that some people think he is. Jesus knows his thoughts, of course, and Jesus answers him with a parable. And the parable is, tell me this, Simon, two people owe a debt. One owes a huge debt. One owes a small debt. They're both forgiven. Which one will love more? Simon says, 
sort of taken off guard, not quite knowing how, where Jesus is going with this. Well, I guess the one who was forgiven the bigger debt, Jesus says, bingo. This woman hasn't stopped crying and weeping and washing my feet. You haven't even greeted, greeted me properly. Jesus' point, her heart perceives the depth of sin of which she has been forgiven and that has now moved her to this visible change in her life. And that's Jesus' whole point. The comprehension of God's love for her as demonstrated by the forgiveness that's given to her. And this is, of course, before Jesus' time on the cross. But it's still, nonetheless, a forgiveness that's going to come through the cross. And her perception of what she's been forgiven of that her perception of the sin that God has forgiven drives her to such change in her life and such love. That's how Christians change. That that is how we change. You know that we think about habits in your life or or things about your life that you don't particularly like, things about your life that you wish were different. And we often talk about just how hard it is to change or in fact maybe even impossible for people to really change, lasting, true, genuine change. Who can really do it? The Christian. Not because we have more willpower, but because real genuine change in our life can only come through two things. One, contemplating the love of God for His people, and two, contemplating the sin which He has forgiven us of. That's what Paul's going to mean when he gets to chapter 4 and he's going to talk about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. How does that happen? That happens through contemplating the love of God for His people and the depth of sin which we were forgiven of. And it's illustrated beautifully in this story here. So, just to press on, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So there's sort of a little play on words there, that you may know that which surpasses knowing. So, we're familiar I'm sure with the, uh, the, the reality that, that the Greek language has two understandings of knowledge. One is a, is a word which describes an intellectual knowledge, a cognitive knowledge. That's what Paul talked about earlier, the seizing of the love of Christ. Seize upon it, grasp upon it with your mind. But then the other is a knowledge that comes about through knowing, through experiencing something. And we can relate to this. Uh, for example, I can... I can know, I can know that, that I can apply heat to a pot of water and that heat will begin to excite the molecules and the molecules will begin to move much more faster and start to bounce off one another and bonds will be broken down and that liquid will be turned to steam. I can know that. But then there's another way I can know it and that's by sticking my hand in the pot. Two knowledges that are completely different. One is to know something and one is to experience it. So both of these words here that you may know what is surpassing knowledge, both of them are the experiential knowledge, to know by experiencing. So here's Paul's prayer, that you being rooted and grounded in the love of God for his people would have the strength, the ability to reach out and grasp the love of God for his people so that you would experience 
what, what surpasses experiencing. So that you would experience the love of God, that you would know by experiencing the love of God for his people that surpasses experiences. So what does this mean, Paul? It's sort of a riddle that you're given. What, what does this mean, knowing something that surpasses and knowing? Well, the word there, surpasses, it's the word that we get our word hyperbole from. Hyperbole is just a, a, an English word for uh, uh, exaggeration, going way beyond. That's what, that's what happens when you exaggerate something, right? Like, uh, like maybe I, I stand in line at Walmart for four minutes and then come out to the car and tell my wife that I had to stand in line for 15 minutes, right? It goes way beyond. It takes the truth and goes beyond that much further. So that's where we get this word, surpassing. Paul's used it twice before, chapter 1, verse 19, to describe the immeasurable, there's the word, the immeasurable greatness of his power working toward us who believe. And he's used it again in chapter 2, verse 7, the immeasurable uh, riches of his kindness in, uh, in Christ. So this word immeasurable or surpassing, going far beyond the love of God for his people, which Paul says goes far beyond the ability to know it by experience. So what does Paul mean by that? The ability to know something by experience is limited by the nature of the creature that's experiencing it, right? All creatures have a limit to what they can know by experience. All creatures that God has created can experience things and they can know what they're experiencing, but their knowledge of that is limited by the nature of what they are. A a goldfish that you buy at the pet store can experience a ride home in your car. And they've experienced everything about that ride. They've experienced the, the 50 miles an hour down the road and they've experienced the scenery going by the window and the clouds and everything and the, the music that you're playing on the radio. They've experienced all of that. But their comprehension of that is limited by what they are, which is a goldfish. A dog can experience, imagine going to an English, English literature class and taking your dog. And the dog experiences the English literature class. And the dog experiences everything that you experience. They, they experience the lecture. They hear the words that the professor is speaking. They see the words written on the board. They experience all of that. But their experience is limited, or their comprehension of that experience is limited by what they are. They know that it's the voice of a human talking. And they can tell if that voice is kind or unkind. They can tell the, the comfort of the room, the temperature, the hardness of the floor they have to sleep on, whatever. But their experience is limited by what they are. In the same way, our experience of the love of God for us is also limited by what we are. So Paul's saying that the love of Christ for his people even goes far beyond what you are capable of perceiving by experience, of, of what you are capable of understanding even by experiencing the love of Christ. It goes far beyond even that in such a way that we will spend eternity experiencing the love of Christ for his people and we will never experience the bottom of that love. We will never experience the wall upon which that love ends because it surpasses the experience of people. The ability for us to perceive it is far surpassed. And this is what brings about the fullness of God, which is the change in the lives of the Ephesians that Paul is driving at. So one final, one final piece of Scripture for us to look at, and this will, I believe, bring this all together for us. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture 
that you would do well to spend some time with. It's 1 John chapter 4, beginning about verse 11 or so. So let me just kind of go through this passage rather quickly. But as I do this, let me just encourage you to think about these words through the lens of what Paul has just said to us, through the lens of of praying that the strengthening in the inner man would come primarily by by God's loving means of taking from us our dependency upon ourselves and instead replacing that with dependency upon Him so that the intimacy of fellowship with Christ is strengthened so that in that strength we can reach out and grasp hold of the love of Christ for His people and by so doing, we are changed. So through that lens, think about what John says. 1 John chapter 4, beginning from verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. There's the change that John is seeking. He's seeking for them to love one another. He's exhorting them to love one another more fully and more completely. That's what his goal is here. He wants the ones who read his letter to be moved to love one another more fully. Beloved, if, we love, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us or completed or matured in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. There's the cross. He has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, the context is God's love for His people always, nearly always, comes the cross into that. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And here it is, verse 16. So we have come to know and believe. Does that sound like what Paul's talking about? Know and believe. Paul's talking about reaching out and seizing upon the comprehension of God's love for his people. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We've come to know experientially, we've come to experientially know this and believe it to be true that God has this love for his people that John's talking about here. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us or completed or matured. By this, by the knowing and believing of God's love for us, is our love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what John just said right there is, we know and believe of God's love for his people, but in order for the love of God to be matured and perfected and completed in our hearts, we must be convinced that there is no punishment for God's people. So in other words, in order for the love of God to be fulfilled, to be completed, to be perfected in us, we must have confidence that Jesus has paid our complete and full sin debt. If Jesus paid 99.5% of your sin debt and there's still 0.5 left for you to pay, That is not believing that there is no punishment, right? John says, in this is love perfected, that we know there is no fear of punishment. Why? Because Jesus has taken it all for us. If there were any punishment left for God's people, that means that Jesus didn't quite complete his job on the cross. 
He didn't quite pay for everything. But John's saying, we know that's not true. So the love in our hearts is perfected, it's completed by our knowing and believing that this is the love of God for us. The love that is shown to us by his payment for our sin on the cross. So that there remains for us no punishment. There remains for us no judgment. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So those two concepts of understanding the depth of your sin, of understanding what Christ became on the cross, that's the measurement of God's love for us, and that, reaching out and seizing upon that, is what changes us in our hearts. One final story, D.A. Carson tells this story uh, in his book, uh, The Case for Spiritual Reformation. He tells a story of, of a, a, a co-professor of his at Trinity Evangelical, who was a, his family would often take in forest, uh, um, forest children, foster children, would often take in foster children. And they took in these two, on this one occasion, they took in two twin boys for foster children. And they had these, th- these, uh, these twin boys came to them at 18 months old, which he says was a little, a little bit older than they normally would foster uh, children. They normally get them at infancy, infancy or birth, but they got these two boys at 18 months and they were twins. And they brought them home and were um, trying to uh, just help these, these two boys that had been taken from a, a very abusive home environment. And they put them down the, for the first night in their beds and they noticed something very strange after they put them down to go to sleep. And what they noticed that was very strange was that they weren't crying. And we all know, 18-month-old, you put them down, more times than not, they're, they're going to cry. But they didn't. They didn't cry, in fact, the first night. They didn't cry the second night or the third night or the fourth night. And they thought this was very odd. So they began talking with the caseworker that was familiar with the, the, the situation, the home situation for these two boys. And it comes to find out that these two infants weren't crying Because even just the short 18 months of their life, they had learned that when adults put them down to go to sleep, when they cried, they were beaten. And so even then they'd learned, we don't cry. Because crying brings blows. So they had this deep fear of punishment. And the only way past that, the only way through that, is with love. To just show these infant boys, over a painful period of time, there's no punishment. And by so doing, so also, in a very infantile sort of way, do we see how the love of God is perfected in us. Let me suggest to you that you cannot fully, completely, without reserve, love God when somewhere down in your heart you still believe that there's a chance that he just might change his mind. That you just might push it too far. That you just might mess up badly enough that he might just experience just just enough frustration with you that he were to say, I just can't deal with that. I, I I just need to bring this child of mine back in line with a little bit of punishment in their life. Let me suggest to you that as long as that is how you perceive your father, you will never love him fully. And your love for him will never be completed. 
And furthermore, real, true, and genuine actual change in your life will be handicapped. And in fact, hamstrung. Because as John says to us, this is how the love of the Father is perfected in us by our hearts knowing there is no more punishment. Jesus has taken it all. And he took it all as the definitive measurement of his love for me. And his love for me is what Paul says to the Ephesians by reaching out and grasping onto that. That is how true change will come into your life. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.